This episode is brought to you by Amazon.com. Go to this episode's page on Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner. Then shop like you regular do on Amazon, which is the place where everybody buys everything. Are there other stores? I don't think there are. So help support our show by supporting our sponsors. Again, go to this episode's page at Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very really frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Uh, hi guys, we are very uh, lucky to have with us here today John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, who are the writers and sometimes directors of uh, the Harold and Kumar movies and uh, the New American Reunion. Thank you guys for being here. Introduce yourselves, please. It's uh, our pleasure to be here. This is John Hurwitz. And this is Hayden Schlossberg. I don't think I even pronounced my name right there. Hayden <laughs> Schlossberg. Okay. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's Schlossberg. Okay. Schloss. Schlossberg. So it's, it's, it's a difficult one. There's that weird silent C, that it's tough. German silent C doesn't make sense. It's tough. And uh, frankly, the writers aren't supposed to be going out and talking to humans. Yeah. No. Well, it's, like, we face this every time. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're directors as well, so I expect better of him. But, uh, That's true. You know, uh, but here we are. Yeah. Had, um, I, known, had I known I was going to direct, I would have changed my last name. <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump right in on American Reunion because I want to make sure that we cover that. Let's talk about how you guys kind of came to be a part of this movie, how you came to write this movie and direct this movie, too, right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Hayden and I were, uh, were huge fans of that first American Pie. I mean, a little backstory on Hayden and I. We're, uh, we're friends from high school. And uh, when we were in high school, we started talking about making movies together. And uh, the kinds of movies that we wanted to make were sort of those laugh-a-minute, uh, you know, but R-rated kind of comedies. And at that time, there weren't a whole lot of those coming out. You know, it was, you know, when we were in high school, you know, the Farrelly brothers uh, sort of started doing their thing. And, you know, I remember we saw Kingpin in the theater and that was sort of like a return to the R-rated comedy Mm -hmm. for us in a lot of ways. We love that movie. You know, uh, Bill Murray's performance, so good in that film. But I digress. Anyway, uh, you know, so we, uh, you know, there hadn't been an R-rated youth comedy since the 80s. And Hayden and I, uh, you know, that was what we were hoping to bring back. Uh, meanwhile, so we finish a, a script and we're in college working on that and you know hoping to be the guys to kind of bring it back. And then we see the trailer for American Pie. And, uh, you know, it was one of those, you know, bittersweet sweet feelings for us. But we just loved the movie. That, that first one um, just really fell in love with the characters, a lot of great set pieces. Um, you know, you're emotionally invested in the storylines, at least we were, you know, at that age. Um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, all these years later, you know, and, you know, we've been in the business for a while now and, uh, you know, we happened to be in the position where the studio, uh, when they were thinking of who should, you know, relaunch this franchise and, and do this reunion movie, they came to us and immediately we were in, we mm-hmm. were, we were really excited about it. We took a meeting and, uh, then away we went. It was, it, it was interesting. We actually heard about the movie first through John Show. We were, you oh, really? know, we obviously are friends with him, you know, through the Harold and Kumar movies, and we're hanging out with him one night. And he said, you know, he heard from the Whites Brothers that Universal's thinking of, you know, 
pursuing uh, another American Pie theatrical movie with the original cast, and it would be like a high school reunion. And John and I were like, "Oh, that sounds like you know an <laughs> obvious idea. You know, a reunion. It's been enough time. You get all the actors back. Like, you know, we'd love to see that movie." And then we get the call. Do we want to write it? Yeah. Oh wow! So did you guys have to pitch on it? We we took one meeting. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, we just sort of went in there and, uh, you know, our, our our biggest, you know, the first thing we said in the pitch was that we want to bring everyone back. If it's mm-hmm. a reunion, it's it's not just um, bringing back, you know, the main guys and the main girls. Mm-hmm. Like if you're at a reunion, you want to see the Shermanator. You know, you want to see the two MILF guys. And uh, so for us, it was just bringing everyone back. And, you know, our, our pitch to them was basically let's uh, take all these characters that we fell in love with and that people all over the world fell in love with. And, uh, you know, now they're in their 30s. So they're the same people, but they're just in a different part of life. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of went through with them sort of where we would take each character. Uh, And then a few hours later, we got a call saying that we were hired. That's fantastic. So you guys had done the homework going into that meeting and breaking down each character and saying, here's where he or she is now. Uh, Tell me about that process. I think that that's probably the, one of the most fun parts of the process is getting to be the god who determines the fate of Stifler, you know, and, <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, you're just you you think about okay, well, where should these guys end up? And part of it is informed by the characters themselves. You mm-hmm. know, it's like okay, you know, yeah, anything can happen to people. People do have major life changes, but nobody wants to see Stifler become a born again Christian. You know, people don't want to see you know. Um, you know, if, if he's if he's gay, all of a sudden, like uh, people just won't buy that. So, so you're informed a little bit by by the characters, but then, you know, a lot of it comes from what we think people in their 30s can relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that the first American Pie, you know, worked so well is because you had it's an ensemble with a bunch of different high school archetypes, and you know, it was very clever in that. You know, it's not just the jock. You know, there was Stifler and there was Oz, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Klein and, and Sean William Scott. And, you know, there's the jock with the girlfriend who's kind of sweet and the jock who's a complete asshole, <laughs> you know. And and th- there are a lot of different uh, types of characters and, and everybody can relate to them. So, you know, we just thought, like, who are – what are archetypes in their 30s, you know? Mm-hmm. The married guy with a kid, you know? The the single guy who hasn't found love yet. Uh, the success, you know? The the guy who's who isn't a success and who, who peaked in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we thought about that and, and figured, okay, well, who, who would what be? And, um, you know, just, just seemed natural to us. And, uh, you know, we went, when we get into it, we figure the other fans will get into it because we're fans. Did you, did you look at these characters from a fan perspective? I mean, you had to, but at some point you had to look at them with sort of a harsher eye from the writing perspective. Well, you know, I think, uh, we uh, we wanted to make the American Pie movie that we wanted to see, mm-hmm. and I think that was the first thing. And you know, uh, you know, to be frank, you know, we didn't necessarily love everything about all the American Pie sequels. You know, uh, you know, there were certain elements like when we saw the third American Pie, and Chris Klein's character Oz isn't at Jim's wedding. It was one of those things that, as a fan, you know, we we were disappointed by mm-hmm. that. Or a character like Thomas Ian Nicholas's character. Kevin in the third movie really had nothing to do. He's just there at the wedding. He's in scenes and it's kind of like for real fans of the franchise, it was it was just a disappointment sort of seeing him sitting around in scenes not saying anything or like, you know, just, you know, he's there to be there. And for us, um, you know, the first thing that we thought about is, okay, like we want to make sure that we have 
every character has a storyline and a storyline that's going to stay in the film. That's not going to get cut mm-hmm. uh, in the editing room. And uh, and so, uh, you know, we approached it as fans, but as fans who are demanding a really good and entertaining American Pie film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about um, breaking those storylines for a minute. Um, because American Reunion is very different from the Harold and Kumar movies sure. in that while it does have these set pieces, it's not as episodic. It's not a journey uh, in, in that kind of on-the-road sense. Yes. Um, talk to me about breaking the story Movies are hard. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> well, this this one was particularly tough because there are so many storylines. Yeah, so. it, it's yeah. it's it's yeah. an ensemble. I mean, the first movie had so many characters. You look at the the poster for the movie, and it's just a hmm. bunch of people. Um, and and of course now John and I are creating new characters, like new girlfriends and sure. wives and people in their lives um, that play as big a part and sometimes bigger than some of the original characters. So. You know, we end up with like 15, 16 characters and, and we want to not make them one dimensional. We want we want to, you know, there's like six, seven, eight storylines in the movie. And it's really, you know, part of it is is a writing challenge. Um, and, you know, it's just it's just really creating the storylines that you think people, fans will like and and not setting yourself up, at, you know, um, where when we're directing the movie, it, it's a disaster, and we have so much to do, and we, we won't be able to shoot anything. And the second challenge is in, in the editing process. You know, um, figuring out what storylines people are caring most about, or what aspects of those storylines they're caring most hmm. about. That's really it. You know, it, it's the challenge with an ensemble like this is making it a, a cohesive story where everything is is working together, and that's the challenge. You know, the first American Pie was easy in the sense that. It was four guys who were trying to lose their virginity mm-hmm. by prom. It was a very simple thing. But when you're in your 30s and you've, you've all gone off in different directions in life, you can't all have the same goal or it's going to ring false. Like I remember we would talk like when we were first conceiving of it and we were like, there's not going to be some stupid thing where like – Ooh, all the characters like have to put together like a skit or a performance, and like all the different cliques in the school are doing. Like, or it's we, like they all have to save the town restaurant. You yeah, know, like, it was. You know, we, the, we were just like that. that that's not real. That's not like no one's going to enjoy yeah. that. We would hate that movie. Yeah, the tricky thing. Yeah, that was the the, the tricky thing is like everybody the the common goal for the characters was sex and it made sense in high school but when you're in your 30s that's not your that's not always like the main thing on your i mean maybe it is but (laughs) (laughs) you're not like in terms of the defining aspects of these characters Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of it is about self-reflection and well i think the thing the thing and you know getting to the the self-reflection point it was first we took each storyline and we figured out okay well what do we want the storylines to be and they were like well how do we tie it together Mm -hmm. and that's when uh you know we came to the the senior there's uh in there you'll see a senior wish list where each of the characters is looking in the year. They all are gathered around the table and they're looking at a yearbook and uh, they see, um, you know, what they thought they were going to be in the future or what their wishes were for the f- their futures. And it allows them to each sort of um, reflect and, and, and see what they were hoping for in the future when they were in high school and sort of think about where they are now. And that was sort of the framing device to kind of make it more unified. It, it wasn't the kind of thing where they look at the at the senior wish list and they're like, by the end of this weekend, we need to achieve our wishes. It, it was nothing like that. It was just, it, it was more like, okay, you know, people can people are going to be following these stories because hopefully they're compelling, but sort of the thing that, that helps, uh, you know, tie it together, you know, for an audience in a way that they're able to, um, you know, get what, you know, 
get whatever sort of individual drives there might be is sort of a, an element of reflecting on on the past and taking stock and where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's funny. You guys, you guys do a great job in that first act of setting up where each person is and what his eventual goal is going to be. Um, but it it is such an internal struggle that each goes through. I mean, I can't imagine it was easy to find these external elements like the wish list and. Uh, then how do you work in these set pieces, which are, you know, part of the American Pie brand? Uh, were these things you came to later? Were they early in the process? Well, you know, again, some of it's informed by the movies. You know, John and I, we have a lot of experience writing sequels now. And, and you know, there's we think that there's an art to writing a good sequel. Mm-hmm. And part of it is making it its own movie. And part of it is, is honoring, you know, the franchise because fans are expecting a certain thing, you know? Uh, we always say it's like, when when you're doing a sequel, it's kind of like you know, or going to see a sequel is like going to see a, a concert of your, one of your favorite performers. And if you're going to see Bruce Springsteen, you're expecting to s- hear him sing a couple, you know, classic songs. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you watch an American Pie movie, you know, the opening scene really should be about you know Jason Biggs being embarrassed in some sort of way, and you know that there should be some sort of middle set piece that involves all the characters and some sort of sexual situation. Um, and you know, do we have to do that? No, but that that's been the trend in all three of the movies. So that you just start, you know, thinking, okay, well, what would they be? And you know, but now you have to view it through the prism of they're in their thirties. So okay, Jason Biggs. Now you know he was married in the last movie. He's got a kid running around the place. Okay, some sort of embarrassing sexual situation with the kid. Boom, set piece. Then you have, um, you know. In, in the first movie, you know, there was the Nadia character, Shannon Elizabeth, who was the foreign exchange student. And, you know, we just felt that that's already been done in the first movie and there was no way to bring Nadia back and, and make it any better than that first movie. So we needed to introduce a new character. So Jason goes home uh, for the reunion and there's the girl next door who's just turned 18 and he used to babysit and has a huge crush on him and is coming on to him and there's we just you know developed a whole set piece uh around her and the and and the guys and 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 putting them in a you know these guys in their 30s in a situation where they're dealing with high school students um so so, it's usually starting from a place of the character though you know i think the key you know you know we uh you know when american pie came out it was one of those movies that worked on on so many levels and i remember you know it, we sold our first screenplay in the wake of american pie and then by the time we moved out to hollywood a number of uh you know american pie imitators came out that were just all terrible to be honest and the biggest issue with them was you didn't care about the characters mm-hmm. you didn't they, there was nothing um, relatable or real about them. It was, you know, bad producers, bad studio executives, bad directors, bad writers, all trying to just make a movie where they're like, oh, well, people want to see nudity or people want to see outrageousness. And, you know, they forget that at that the first and foremost, most important thing is having characters that mm-hmm. you want to follow for 90 minutes. Uh, so we were lucky enough in this film to have characters that people have wanted to follow for three movies already. And, uh, you know, for us, it was really about now that we figured out, okay, where are they today? It's taking those sort of storylines and then letting the set pieces flow from there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, when, when Hayden talks about the set piece in the middle of the film with Kara and, uh, you know, she's, she's the next door neighbor, that was really coming from a place of, okay, so Jim is, he was the sexually frustrated guy in high school. 
now he's a sexually sexually frustrated married guy with a kid, and that's a very relatable thing. A lot of married guys with a kid, uh, you know, sex is sometimes hard to come by. Maybe as hard as uh, hard to come by as in high school, and. Uh, you know, we figured, okay, well, there should be some temptation for Jim this weekend. We wanted it to be Jim's goal this weekend. Jim and Michelle, their goal is to kind of get their groove back during this reunion weekend. And so how can we tempt Jim? So we introduced this character, um, you know, uh, in the first act, uh, the uh, the Kara character. And it's sort of like, you know, this is... It, it's the kind of girl, the, you know, the, the, the beautiful girl next door who seems uncomplicated and, and just coming on to him like crazy. And, uh, you know, we, we figured uh, it, was, it, was, it would be a fun threat to have throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And sort of that sort of led us towards that, that uh, yeah. you know, the answer of what that big set piece was going to be in the mm-hmm. middle of the film. Were there wrong avenues that you guys went down in plotting these uh, various arcs? Yeah, there. You know, when I think about a couple things, um, we, you know, we, before we had come up with the the senior wish list idea, we were trying to find different ways to frame, um, you know, what you're tracking in the movie, and it was we were having a hard time at first figuring out. Okay, well, how do you get, unify everyone? So we were like, okay, well, do we sort of like latch onto Jim's storyline and then have have it, you know, go off from there? And we had done something, and we haven't talked about this in a long time. There was a period of time where they encountered Sherman, the Shermanator, That's right. um, at the very end of the first act. And, you know, sort of some things that you learn about Sherman actually in the film now, but th- that's mm-hmm. now in the third act. You learn some things, and Sherman was kind of a cautionary tale of a guy who had been married and things had kind of gotten down the tubes in a certain kind of way. Um, so he was almost like a cautionary tale for Jim. It, it was like a catalyst. Like you saw yeah. that, oh, Sherman got, you know, had the same situation as me but ended up divorced and he's miserable now. So I need to do this in the <laughs> second act. And It never yeah. felt right to us. It was mm-hmm. one of those things that like we were just trying to find something because, because like I said earlier, we didn't want it to be like, okay, well, the guys all need to do something fake. Right. But but as a result of that, I think it was all the guys are trying to help Jim's like uh, uh, you know love life, which you know, which, which, it, which also never felt right. Yeah, to us. it was one of those things that like we were struggling like because we always had all of these storylines for the other characters. So it was like we would talk about it and it was like, well, no, they can't like they the, shouldn't be spending. I, I, why would Oz, why is Oz spending his time yeah. like worrying about Jim's love life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So at the end of the day, it's really just an ensemble with like six different storylines with. And the unifying thing is they're all friends and they all are at a time of their lives where, you know, things aren't great and, and they wish that they're better. And, and, and there are, you know, the, the first act and the second act break, you know, are are focused on the friends you know like at the first act break they're all together they're they're cheersing we're gonna have an awesome weekend Mm -hmm. this is gonna be just like old times and at the second third act break they split up and it's you know don't you realize things will never be the way they used to be Mm -hmm. and and that that was that was the the overall general framework and everything in the middle is just storyline a storyline b storyline c storyline d storyline a storyline b you know and you you Mm -hmm. cut back and forth and there's a little bit of a rhythm with the comedy how we edit it, but um, yeah, well, the the other thing that I would say is that you know what I kept saying when we when talking to the the studio and the producers because everybody was like sort of looking for you know the unifying thing is that you look at you know uh, the movies like the I don't know like New Year's Eve or uh, mm-hmm. you know Valentine uh, is it Valentine's Day or like Love Actually a lot of those things those are movies that don't have that cohesive thing 
But they still work because you're following all the different storylines. Do they? You know? <laughs> well, they work for an audience. Some of them work. They don't yeah. work. None of them. They don't. Very. very, very I, in fairness, I, I haven't yeah. seen them. Yes, but they don't yeah. look but it's like a they fair work. Question. Yes. No. Exactly. Like it, the bottom line is, they work. They they work. You know, with the studio. Yeah, they worked enough for they, the studio they to make. They worked for the studio to make them. That that was the thing. Sometimes, it's like I don't know if they work for an yeah. audience. But my my I guess my my confidence that I had was that like. Well, those are storylines about characters that you don't even mm-hmm. know, and they're all like disconnected. But the overall theme of right. whatever the movie is was tying it together, and then maybe by the end they all like you end up seeing that they're like you know all Nobody in the same knows. world. You know who knows? Nobody's you know. seen them. No one's seen <laughs> a lot of a lot of people. No one who listens love, to this. I saw Love right. Actually. Love Actually was was pretty good. Yeah, Love Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it has its things. <laughs> it it helps. Fun. Yeah, anything with you know Brits. You know, right. they get away with a lot more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They classes up the joint, <laughs> yeah. even if it's not a uh, high art. But uh, you know the uh, yeah you didn't have to literally link every character's arc together because uh, you had this well, thematic felt, umbrella. Yeah, there's a thematic umbrella, but there was also a natural connection with these characters, right. and we were having them together. You know, we were having them all for this reunion weekend. But I think it was when we when we hit that the uh, the senior wish list thing. It was mm-hmm. like okay, well that everybody we could all kind of get behind that in a clear way. It helps you know when when marketing the movie. You know, sure. they could put that in the trailer sure. and say, oh, OK, now so people can get, OK, well, it's a, they're reflecting on kind of where they were and where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's go back uh, a moment. Uh, you guys were talking about wanting to see these R-rated comedies uh, when you were in high school and then writing them through college. Um, what were your comedic influences? Did you guys have set like I I. I think it took me a long time to figure out what comedy I liked, yeah. you know, and I think when you're a kid, you kind of just take it all in. But it seems like you kind of knew this is the stuff we like. Well, we, we like all kinds of comedy and, you know, it goes beyond movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in the, you know, Conan O'Brien, Howard Stern, Howard Stern realm. Uh, the, the sketch comedy shows, whether it was Saturday Night Live or The State when we were in high school mm-hmm. was a big thing for us. Um, so, you know, we... <clears throat> That we, our comedy, you know, tastes are very, you know, it's like our taste in food. We like everything, mm-hmm. but um, when it comes to movies, I mean, I, there's again, we like a lot of the great comedies of the 1980s. I mean, it's Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, all that stuff. But I would say that you know, the movies that John and I actually bonded over when we first became friends were the Zucker Brothers movies, <laughs> and you know, it was just like for us, Naked Gun was like really funny. You know, like we just liked something. It was like you know what, forget about. You know, how highbrow or lowbrow or smart or dry. Like, let's just measure comedy in terms of laughter, loud laughter, quantity, and quality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, like, the Naked Gun movies were huge. You know, we were actually too young to really, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity to meet David Zucker, and I joked to him about, like, when we saw Airplane, or when I saw Airplane, I saw Airplane 2 first, before Airplane. <laughs> sure. <laughs> how did you follow it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was, when I saw Airplane for the first time, I'm like, oh, my God, like, they have these jive guys again? You know, <laughs> yeah, but, like, it really, it was so funny when he, he did that to, to David, and to, he was just like he you could see him boiling because david zucker to this day has not seen airplane too yeah yeah he, he refused no. to see it but but it's like even when i watched airplane it was like i didn't, I didn't understand the saturday night fever references or anything mm-hmm. like that but or or airport or what it was you know right. parodying but you know naked gun for whatever reason that just seemed like one of the most amazing you know comedies at the time just in terms of it's relentlessly trying to make you laugh you know beyond what the other companies were and then at the time you know so, so john and i yeah. would meet each other and in high school, we talk about the movies and we, we would know like somebody like Pat Proft, who is one of like the Zucker Brothers co-writers who would have writing oh credit gosh. on the movie. 
Um, you know, we we would talk about the difference between like the Zucker Brothers movies where Pat Prof didn't have writing credit and did, and clearly yeah. what what his influence yeah. Yeah. was. Yeah, we, we, on the, wow. it was funny because you know we talked about how we used to say this was a Proftian joke. If it was like you know uh, like the, like a tongue going through one ear and out the other, like things that kind of went a little too far mm-hmm. in the cartoonish thing for our taste. Um, but some, but we also liked some of Pat Prof's like, movies. But yeah, the classic one where, where where Frank Drebin like you know. Catches uh, Priscilla Presley's hand, and then her other hand, right. and then a third hand slaps him in the face. Like we, we would joke that that was a prof joke, and then we we ended up working with David Zucker and uh, and Craig Mazin actually on uh, on Scary Movie Three. We did a little bit of work uh, for them uh, during the production, and uh, we were completely right. That was the thing that was so funny. Was That's like hilarious. we were like we told them that they're like you you are they they couldn't because they did what was it he did wrongfully accused yeah, on yeah. his own and that was yeah. just like full of prof jokes yeah so <laughs> but we were, but we sense. but we were like hardcore nerds about who was behind the mm-hmm. you know the comedy you know we in particular you know we love all kinds of comedy but we really like comedy where it's like okay. Clearly, there's somebody behind the scenes mm-hmm. doing this. And like the Farrelly brothers at the time when we first met each other suddenly came out on the scene and they became, in our opinion, like the kings of, of comedy writing directing, you know, um, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dumb and Dumber for us was was like, uh, you know, had that naked gun kind of like relentless comedy. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Kingpin's one that we think is underrated that, that we were we were obsessed with when we were in high school. But the, you notice if you look at those movies. There's, you know, the Zucker Brothers stuff is more uh, spoofy. Mm-hmm. The Farrelly Brothers stuff is, is uh, you know, interesting, weird, bizarre characters. Yeah, like but, the, but there was, like, an added level of heart to those yeah, movies. You knew, the, you yeah, there was no heart in any of the Zucker Brothers stuff. The Farrelly Brothers brought some heart into it. They, they cared. You, you kind of feel bad for, you know, Jim Carrey at a, in a moment in, in, mm-hmm. in Dumb and Dumber. You definitely feel bad for Woody Harrelson in Kingpin. And in Something About Mary, you feel bad for... Ben Stiller, but they're all heightened, mm-hmm. ridiculous movies. I think that American Pie, one of the things that was great about that movie was that um, it, it was still – it was trying to get big laughs like like all these big comedies. But it was also trying to be real mm-hmm. at the same time. It wouldn't go for something that was so far-fetched, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and what, what we were writing early on was very much along like, like American Pie. And this, again, it was before American Pie came out. Like, what we were trying to do was we wanted young people to... It wasn't really about young people. We were just young people at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we wanted people like us on the screen. People who sounded like us, who sounded like our friends, who talked about the things our friends uh, were into. And, and uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, there would be nudity and there would be, you know, uh, crazy outrageous set pieces. There, there'd be that laugh a minute kind of thing mm-hmm. from like a Zucker Brothers movie or a Fairly Brothers movie, but it would be more grounded. And that was sort of our goal. So our initial scripts were like that. And then, um, you know, we came out to Hollywood post-American Pie when all those horrible uh, American Pie imitators mm-hmm. came out. And we were young guys. We're writing youth comedies. So we read a college comedy and people – love the script but they're like studios don't we're not looking to make a youth comedy right now so that's when we sort of you know switched it up and decided to write uh harold and kumar where you know we figured you know what there hasn't been a great like stoner movie franchise in a while Mm -hmm. um and uh and again we we actually drawing from our lives like you know going to college and high school we had a ton of asian and indian american friends um, you know, and we always bonded with them because, like, you know, we, we're you know Jewish kids in New Jersey, and our parents are all you know 
pressuring us to go to college and be a doctor lawyer and and it just felt like we had the same sort of like situation and mm-hmm. and could you know easily bond with you know all our asian american friends and yet whenever we'd watch movies every asian american character in the 1990s had an accent it's mm-hmm. like they there was whoever was writing and producing back then just didn't know anybody like that. They they, they, they just knew Asians who came. They sure. weren't Asian Americans. They were yeah. just Asians who you know uh, were exchange students or that kind of thing. So yeah, we, we uh, you know Harold and Kumar. Oddly enough, in every script we wrote before Harold and Kumar, and we had written four scripts before Harold and Kumar, there were always the characters Harold and Kumar, and they weren't exactly <laughs> like Harold and Kumar today. You know, in one script, they would just be kind of uh, a couple buddies of the main characters who were at a party. They weren't smoking weed or anything, but they were just sort of similar. In others, there would just be like, you know, they would be at a hospital and we'd have an Asian guy and an Indian guy and their names would be Harold and Kumar. We always liked uh, those characters, those names because we had a friend named Harold and we had a friend whose brother's name was Kumar. We liked the name Kumar. We liked the idea of this Asian and Indian duo Mm -hmm. always. So we, uh, you know, we created those movies and... You know, if you look at Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, it was, um, you know, at its core, Harold and Kumar, and you look at all three of the movies, Harold and Kumar themselves are real. They're like any of us. They're like any of the characters in American Pie. But because it's a stoner comedy, um, you know, you're able to blur the lines a little bit more in terms of the reality of the world. Um, you know, uh, we believe it or not, there are rules in the Harold and Kumar universe that, that you know, we try to – we try to follow, you know, if you're going to do something that's so out there, usually it's while while somebody's really stoned or on a really hardcore drug, and they need to or, acknowledge yeah. it. And they need to, you know, or, they, yeah, they the, need to the acknowledge classic, it. The classic moment, you know, it's you know, we we it's you know, in the first Harold the Kumar, there's a j- j- jump the shark moment, you know, like where they decide to ride a cheetah, <laughs> and this was just a decision we made. We had to make the, you know, what we're going to do this, all right. But you know they, they're commenting on it, right? That this is like the stupidest thing that they, they, they had just gotten stoned, and they get stoned with the cheetah. Right? Yeah, and they and they uh, they and yeah, they get on the cheetah's back, and Harold says he's like, "This is the stupidest thing we've ever done," basically, and acknowledges just like how dumb it is. And mm-hmm. I think it's if you keep Harold and Kumar grounded, and they're like the audience, especially Harold because he's more the straight man mm-hmm. of the duo, um, then you could get away with a lot more. Uh, but it was just, you know, a weird, you know, a weird way that things work in Hollywood. We've sold, you know, probably 10 to 15 screenplays over the years. And the ones that have been made were the Harold and Kumar movies <laughs> before American Pie. So it, it's interesting that, like, what we're most known for are these movies that have all, like, all this absurdist comedy kind of mixed in with the, the reality stuff. When most of the other scripts that we wrote were a lot closer to American Pie. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about those other scripts for a minute. Specifically, sure. those the first handful. Uh, yes. I'm curious about when you sure. guys started writing. Did you started writing together in high school? Um, we we started writing not screenplays. We okay. talked about writing screenplays. We talked about making movies. Wouldn't this be a great movie? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, we we came up with movie concepts, but. We, we, you know, our, our inspiration to write was actually like we one night got together and started doing like, you know, would you rathers? Like, mm-hmm. would you rather do this or that? And back then it wasn't like we didn't know that that was something that people did. It was just something that we were doing <laughs> that night. And it was just simple like, would you rather, you know, sometimes it was with our teachers in school. Would you rather like give a hand job to Mr. You know, Wait or do you, would you rather, you know, go down on, you know, Miss Sorchak or something? <laughs> And John's laughing because I'm using actual names. But, um, you know, like weird – and then like to crazy, like absurdist places, like would you rather have, you know, 
um, what was it? Yeah. Bowling balls for testicles or uh, pool sticks for nipples. You know, like, and we would just like la- like out- outrageous things, and we wrote like five hundred of them, and we're like, you know, like we go to like you know Barnes and Noble, and we see those types of mm-hmm. weird books. Like this could be a book at one of those stores. And and we actually like went to a Barnes and Noble, looked at different publishers. We looked at publishers and stuff, but we were like seniors Funny. in high school and we were trying to get into college, so we didn't really do anything with it. And then uh, you know I was at Penn and it was a sophomore year, and I was going to be an investment banker in a couple years, and he was going to go to law school in a couple years. And I'm at at Urban Outfitters and I see literally the book that we envisioned. <laughs> Would you rather? Written it, it, there's about the authors. It was two guys who looked like us, but a few years older than us. And I called him literally that day and I said, move in with me this summer and let's write a screenplay. Huh. And that was what inspired us. But, you know, then, you know, uh, so the very first screenplay that we wrote was a script called Filthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually we wrote it when we wrote it. It was called Outside the Box mm-hmm. initially um, because we were trying to be a little bit more highbrow <laughs> about uh, the title because it was a metaphor uh, for uh, <laughs> these young people who should not think not think just just about going on the the the. Uh, the career paths that that they were going for, like us. That, I mean, um, that, let's just be frank. The very first <laughs> screenplay that we wrote was autobiographical to a fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a classic. Like, you know, we. But it, it was smart. You know, write about what you know. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean, the, every you know, every first time screenwriter does this. Yeah, exactly. Him and, or her. Yeah, and so we wrote a script about two guys who are friends who wanted to, you know, go into screenwriting, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, we're on different career paths. And John, you know, was at University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School mm-hmm. of Business, going to, he's like Alex P. Keaton, you know, like ready to go to Wall Street. And I was at University of Chicago and I was like applying to law school. And neither one of us wanted to be a lawyer or investment mm-hmm. banker. And really, we were like, you know, if we don't write and sell a screenplay before we graduate college, we're probably never going to see each other again. You know, we're at different colleges. We're already like, you know, going off in different mm-hmm. directions. And, you know, I think, you know, but our, our logic was like, how the hell, you know, we, we did think in a practical business sense. Why would a studio, why would a company, a corporation buy something from us mm-hmm. when there's professional writers out there? And the only thing that we could think of was, well, if we're writing about people our age, then we'd have an authenticity, you know, that, that other people don't. And, and it and at least would make sense to buy it. Um and so, yeah, so we started writing about what we knew, and, and our first draft was like over, you know, was it 250 pages? It, it was pages? like 250 pages on Microsoft Word. Amazing. So yeah, if, you put it, if, you put it into, if you put it into final draft, it probably would have been like 375 <laughs> pages. It was because we, were do, we would have like 30-page scenes, oh, and we'd have like – we never read a book on screenwriting. Still haven't. This, yeah, this was my question. Yeah, I no, mean, let's talk about the nuts and bolts yeah, of this no, for a second. Yeah, we, had you seen a screenplay? We, no. No, no. The only screenplays we had seen, we had seen like a book of Kevin Smith's like first Which two Which is screenplays. a horrible oh, way. Yeah. It's a horrible yeah. way to go about it. Like, I mean, we liked – Kevin Smith's movies, you know, and we're like, it was just like, that's not the way to go for about to make studio movies. Well, they, they were, they were yeah. in, 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 we were reading it like, you know how yeah. like sometimes there'll be a, a book at the store sure. and, and it's like two Kevin Smith screenplays, but right. it's not in the right format. No, it wasn't the in the, page, no, the pagination. Yeah, no, it did, yeah, yeah, it was, it so was, we're it like was bolding an things and indenting things <laughs> in yeah. all sorts of weird, incorrect ways. And oh my God, yeah. So, so it was funny because we wrote that very first draft, but it was good to get something on paper. <laughs> and was what good. was, let me just ask, uh, break in for a minute. What was your process for writing that first draft? Were you both sitting there and just that, that, it? that one? We were that, that, was, that, and, that and, one. It was like we we had job. We you know, like I said, we went to different colleges, so mm-hmm. we had to write this screenplay over the course of a summer in between our sophomore mm-hmm. and junior year. It was summer of 1998, the summer of Norm Macdonald's Dirty Work. Yes, <laughs> yes. Other exactly. people would say you know something about Mary. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, yeah, we we would work and then get home at like six, you know, o'clock at night or something. Eat dinner and then from like eight to eleven at night every night, hmm. get pages down. Wow. And for by the time we were done with the summer, we I think we had like two hundred over two hundred fifty <clears throat> pages. It was actually an amazing like dedicated. We were really yeah. productive. Yeah. yeah. No, but it was it was uh, you know it was really that one we didn't outline as much. It was really we just sure. sort of started. We knew the general story and we we're like okay, well let's just sort of see where it goes naturally it was like that kind of thing we knew generally the beginning middle and end but we were coming up with the story as on the fly um then you know we we you know during our junior year we met a handful of people who kind of knew a little bit about screenwriting mm-hmm. like uh you know it's uh it was funny like uh you know i met a kid whose father you know had produced a few movies out here um, and he he had read some scripts like you know for his dad over the years, so he was just like you know it should be like a hundred pages, and you know here's the general format. But like you know those were the kinds of general notes we were getting. Sure. I actually tried to take a screenwriting class at Penn, uh, but it was like all seniors in the class, and there was one spot left, and it was me and another junior trying to vie for it. I brought my 250 page script there, <laughs> and the teacher made fun of me in front of the class. No. So I was just like. Fuck this guy. And like I just – I didn't go. The other junior actually now runs Danny McBride's production company. Jesus. I said, yeah, you can take the class. So it's funny that like we both ended up like uh, in this business. But, um, you know, uh, it was really – you know, that first thing, we, we wrote that long script. Then we got got some advice from a few people. We finally like saw a screenplay. Then we, then, yeah, then we started to see like, you know, a little bit what a screenplay looked like in a, in a more real way. We bought Final Draft. We bought Final Draft. We, we sprung for Final right. Draft. That was like a big deal, I remember. Yeah. I remember it was like, uh, like we're each throwing in a hundred something bucks, you know? Like yeah. we're investing in this business. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, then we, uh, over the course of that next summer, um, we kind of got it into shape and made it like a hundred pages, 110 pages. Um, and then... Uh, and we also like, we made sure to like, Toned down the auto the autobiography. Yeah, like it, we changed the names of the characters from John and Hayden to Ben and Evan. It was Ben and Evan, and, and they were no longer trying to be screenwriters. They, when they were in high school, had done like home brewing, mm-hmm. and they, uh, you know, and used to sell beer to like other kids in school and stuff. And then like they decide to like open up a home brewery at the end of the movie, My, um, you know, a micro brew. Was, yeah, it, was so. it a tough process in uh, revisiting? the script yeah i think we wrote it basically from scratch i mean we, we did page one yeah, you was, know it was, and, and most of our early scripts were page one rewrites like every time like we would finish a draft and we always say this to young writers it's like you finish your first draft of the script and then assume that it's complete shit because it is it usually is that's the truth plain and simple like you know and maybe there's a lot of good little bits in there and you're getting stuff out there but you know we we came to grips with that early on like our first script it was there was some great things and some of that great stuff is in not only in uh, that first screenplay that we sold but in some of our other movies. Mm-hmm. But you know overall it, it's it wasn't a working screenplay because it's hard to write a really good screenplay that that you're actually that's flowing all the way through. Maybe right. maybe it helps if you've read a, a book on screenwriting. <laughs> maybe it isn't complete shit for you know, most people, but for us it was. Or at least a screenplay. <laughs> yeah, or at least it's a screenplay. But you know our second script and our third script. Our second script was. A college comedy mm-hmm. called "Faking It." Um, so we sold. We ended up selling that first script filthy. We mm-hmm. ended up selling that and got. How it. did it get in the right hands to get sold? Um, well, you know, I'm sure this is all well trod too. So if you want to sure. give me the short version, uh, the, I, the, I totally the, understand. The, the really short version is, you know, if we could have gotten our script to anybody, it would have been like the Farrelly Brothers because mm-hmm. they were like the kings of comedy at that point. Realized that they would probably not just take an unsolicited screenplay. So we, um, we. 
Brothers. Well, we did some research basically yeah. finding out, uh, okay, well, who works with the Farrelly Brothers? <laughs> um, and uh, we saw that there was a common assistant director on Kingpin, Dumb and Dumber, and There's Something About Mary. And the same guy had been the assistant director on American Pie. Wow. So we were like, okay, well, this guy, J.B. Rogers, who actually went on to direct American Pie 2, um, and he still works with the Farrelly's a lot today. Um, you know, he uh, – I, I called the Directors Guild and I was like, oh, can I can I get a number for J.B. Rogers? Figuring I'd get like an agent or something. Mm-hmm. I got J.B. Rogers actually. <laughs> and I, and I uh, you know, spoke to him. I said, listen, I'm, I'm probably the last person in the world that you want to speak to. I'm just a college kid across the country. But my friend and I are enormous fans of every movie you've, you've been a part of recently. We feel like we – not only do we think they're really funny, but we feel like we know why they work. And we hmm. feel like we've written a screenplay – that is in the ballpark of the kind of things that you've been doing, would you read it? And he, I convinced him to read it. He read it and he loved it. And he ended up uh, passing it along to you know, the producers uh, uh, of American Pie. And, so uh, we were actually talking to the producers of American yeah. Pie in like 19, before American Pie came out. That's crazy. It was, yeah. it was a crazy situation, um, you know, you know, given that we're directing this movie now. <laughs> um, but basically those producers ended up, you know, it ended up passing, getting passed around to a couple of different producers, and mm-hmm. and and this one producer hooked us up with some agents and managers, and and one day we're in you know college in our classes and getting calls from agents and managers wanting to rep us, which was awesome, and you know the the script went out uh, like February of of two. 2000. It was leap day of 2000, yes. February 29th, and then it sold seven days later. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, we ended up. Uh, you it's know, like three months before we graduated. Yeah. So literally, we you know it. We always talk about that was like sort of we had stakes. <laughs> we, yeah. It was our lives yeah. were like yeah. a story. I was going to work for Goldman Sachs for real. Like right. I literally had my 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 cell weekend was uh, uh, for uh, mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs in Los Angeles. They flew me out to L.A. Like specifically, I had it be the same time when we were meeting with agents and managers, <laughs> and uh, so I, I like toured their offices, and then we met with agents and managers, That's and wild. I called them and I passed on the job because of I was like yeah. I sold a screenplay while I was out. But, but you know, like I mean, there's a million different ways. It's 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 you know, it's so tough to tell somebody like how do you how do you get in the business? Yeah. You know, all, all we know is our experience, and our mm-hmm. experience is. You know, what we always say is like, think about who you'd want to get your screenplay to any like some, whether it's Tarantino or Scorsese Mm -hmm. or whatever, you're not going to get your screenplay to them. But you know what, if you could somehow do the detective work online and find out who their assistant is, you know, and and you could make the right call and and you come off not like uh, somebody trying to use them, but somebody who, you know, is giving them an opportunity because these assistants, you know, how how they make, you know, their careers work is they they pass this script they say listen i read this and you know what it's really good you know mm-hmm. and and when it works you know it benefits them and everything so i mean that that's the only advice that that, that we could give there's a million other ways to yeah. do it though but oh, we but we ended up moving out to la and i remember we didn't even have furniture in our apartment and we started writing this uh this college comedy faking it and the general concept of that was it was uh, a group of uh, three freshman roommates who uh in college three three college freshman roommates who um, had gone through their first semester at college and not had and had not had any sex and not had any like, not hooked up at all and it was like all the things that like college is supposed to be the time where like like everyone's just like getting laid like crazy and they felt like they just like weren't working the right game so each of them had their own way like one person thought like the frat guys get laid one person thought that rich guys get laid and one guy thought that like Chicks love the gay dude. So each of them in the second act of the movie was kind of playing mm-hmm. out that kind of thing. And uh, and it was uh, 
you know, it was a really funny script. Uh, some of the, the some of the, the the jokes from it, like we had Wafflebot, which was in Harold and Kumar three, mm-hmm. in that screenplay that we wrote in two thousand. Oh, wow. We had uh, Battleships, which was in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. We had uh, them singing Hold On. We had a character singing Hold On in that movie, which we did in in. Uh, in uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle yeah, you know, as well. Like they, you know, just because the script doesn't sell doesn't mean it was, you know... It, 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 it wasn't went, necessarily a waste of your time. Yeah, exactly, because I would say there's a lot of great, you know, hysterical moments in the first Harold and Kumar and in a couple of the others that we that we borrowed from some of the first oh, couple screenplays that didn't sell. And I'm sure it made you, you know, the more you write, the better exactly. you're going to get at it. You guys must have gotten more confident as writers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once that, that's yeah, that's the other thing. The more you write, you know, again, and and the more you do page one rewrites, mm-hmm. the more you're not afraid of doing. You know, when when we if let's say we hand a script in and 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 to a studio and for whatever reason they're not vibing with it, you know, we're not afraid to, you know figure out what the problem is and uproot mm-hmm. it you know whereas i think you know in the early stages you're kind of like you're you're really precious to what's there yeah so i think that's the biggest mistake that most writers make in, in my experience because we we've worked with writers as producers we've developed a variety of projects over the years is that because it's really hard to write a screenplay people are just like hoping well if i just sort of stitch this together mm-hmm. and if i do this stuff when usually oftentimes a reason a screenplay is not working is there's a bigger issue mm-hmm. there's yeah. something bigger going on and you need to blow the whole thing up and then put it together again like yeah. if you have all these great pieces you have great characters like they'll still be in there you'll be able to find it maybe not every every great joke will fit in this new version of the movie because it's not relevant sure. to the story but you know uh, you need to you you need to be willing to to do the hard work. A lot of times, like it's it's also it's tricky because you'll give a note and you don't want to be horrible about it. You don't want to say this whole thing is horrible. <laughs> but sometimes it's like there is one big, you know, one problem in the beginning of the movie that 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 ruins the whole script. And so they, you know, a writer will interpret it as okay, I just need to fix this problem. But it, it's like saying, you know, like okay, you're you're this person's missing one chromosome. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it totally fucks everything up, you know, and you really need to start from scratch. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, people just need to get ready to, you know, being a writer is about killing your babies and, sure. and, and you know, being ready for all possibilities. Um, was this the case with uh, Faking It or a couple of the subsequent scripts? You know, was there something that people weren't responding to or, or did these sell you know, as well? Fa- fa- well, you know what, fake, Faking It... Um, Almost sold. The only the sense is the only reason that I believe faking it didn't sell was because of the marketplace at the time. Mm-hmm. R-rated youth comedies, like I was saying, there were a bunch of bad imitators. Uh, well, and also, like, came out. People bought a lot after after sure. American Pie came out. There were like a lot of youth comedies, like teen comedies, college comedies that that uh, you know flooded the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so we we put it in at like a bad. We ours mm-hmm. came out at a bad time when you know people probably had already bought a bunch and sure. and. And a couple movies like Tom Katz has come out and not been successful. So yeah, and then um, you know we we ended up uh, <laughs> love the Tom Katz reference. <laughs> yes, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, we wrote another script that we never put on the market called Munsonville at the time, which was a weird. It was a big. It was it was probably a bigger concept than we were ready to take on at that stage in our career. <laughs> it was really um, there were a lot of great things in that script. It was basically um, uh, the the ugliest, dorkiest, nerdiest guy. Um, who, you know, is just the ultimate underdog, ends up sort of stumbling through a portal through the internet where he ends up in a world where everyone is beautiful, except because everyone's beautiful. When they meet him and he looks different and he's different than everybody else, 
he becomes the coolest guy in this town. <laughs> and it was a really – it was a cool, fun, like, wish mm -hmm. fulfillment concept. And I think that uh, we did a lot of things right in that script. But I think that to make it as grand as that movie should have been, I think there were certain things that we just couldn't really – at that stage of our careers, we, we weren't ready to get it to the next level. We were still too obsessed with, like, pop cultural references and stuff <laughs> to understand, like, the, the grandeur of, 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 you know, a story like that. One, one thing that I should say, though, is that by the time we were, like, writing our, our – new drafts of filthy way you know, way back when um we had learned to outline sure. by then like I, I should i should make that clear that like when talking about the, <laughs> you don't still do it this no time. no 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 but I, you know i just i just want to make it clear that like for us we spend far more time on the outlining yeah. process than on the actual writing process yeah. and it's like not just knowing um like okay well what the, the order of the scenes but like what it the 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 key to it is you're taking an audience on an emotional journey for 90 minutes to 120 mm -hmm. minutes they have to care about your characters they have to be invested in the storyline that's going there and you're plotting everything throughout the movie to, to bring them on that path and that includes a movie like you know any Harold and Kumar movie you know you know there are there is this episodic feel to the movie but it can't be like where okay Harold in this episode is acting you know right. a certain way and the next is 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 you know completely different without a rhyme or reason sure. to it yeah you have and to track the emotional you have arc. to track it I mean it's not like you know it's not rocket science but but you do, you know, sometimes a comedy writer um, will tend to just dwell on the joke and mm -hmm. do something that's funny and forget that, hey, wait a second, it doesn't make sense that Harold is all, all of a sudden, you know, happy with Kumar here when Kumar just did this. You mm -hmm. know, it's like things like that you need to sort of track. Um, and I think that that's what outlining is, is, you know, one of the main things is, is tracking your characters. We also, you know, we... We come up with a lot of jokes and comedy in the outlining phase. So when mm -hmm. we, before we start page one, we have so many jokes and dialogue and all stuff written in our outline. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you uh, board your outlines? Do you type them out? How does it work? We we um we've done it in a variety of different ways mm -hmm. over the years. We've tried, you know, we uh, we tried to do the index card thing at it, points. It just doesn't work. The problem with the index cards is we're too. We need a corkboard. I think that's the problem. <laughs> we yeah, don't have a yeah, corkboard. Yeah, but we've tried that too. Yeah. It's hard to do without. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just have them on the table. Exactly. Oh, no, it's, it's like, terrible. what do I do I don't with the corkboard? <laughs> does that mean I need to like pin it up against the wall? <laughs> and, and am I now committed to that? We we also I think you know our 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 uh, index cards situation it's it's more you know the thing is we have too many things going on whether it's jokes whether it's characters mm -hmm. whether it's all this stuff that like it becomes there becomes too much sure. there, there becomes too much there where a lot where you can't really fit it all so i think what we've been doing lately is um you know sometimes we'll do index cards uh you know just to throw ideas out there sometimes we'll just do big documents where it's like okay well here are the characters mm -hmm. and here's this stuff but I think that, you know, it's in the end, you know, whatever, wherever we start with, it's then getting a big outline. It yeah. just, uh, I think work. now what we do, I don't know, this is what I would want to do this next time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Okay. <laughs> it's just like you, you bullet point and you use mm -hmm. the bullets as note cards. You know, yeah. and that way, like it can you be just long copy and paste or small. Them. Like the yeah. problem with a note card is that, um, you know, it. You know, I've seen like people with their note cards and they'll like just have one word on it or, or like a sentence. And, you know, for us, the, there's, there's sometimes a lot more than that. You know, or like we'll yeah. come up with this amazing idea, you know, that's, that's a little bit complicated. Well, what do I do? Do I put that on the note card? Do I put it on the back of the note card? Yeah, there, beco there become debates but, as to, like, how to use the, the, because the format of the note card. Because that, to me, is almost as important as, as, like, you know, boy loses girl, you right. know, whatever. Sure. So it's like you want to... 
uh, I think you know for us it's just get these bullet points down and and, and just have it evolve mm-hmm. you know but uh, you know it was you know we we sold those that we actually sold a horror movie pitch really? also when we were early in our career that uh, you know we ended up writing that and uh, that was just you know a similar process to writing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let me interrupt for just sure. one sec. So, filthy obviously wrote on spec and then it sold. And then the next couple, did you also write on spec? Uh, or was yes, it? yes, yes, yes. Okay. We 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 wrote filthy on spec, sold. Wrote this college comedy, faking it. Did did almost sold. Almost did sold. Not, didn't sell. Didn't sell. Mm-hmm. Wrote Munsonville, never put it on the market. Okay. And then we oh, but in the middle of that, we sold that horror movie. We thing. pitched. We pitched resolution. We pitched resolution, and, and it was just you know. And was it again? I apologize for interrupting, but just to get our uh, sure. state of the business right. Um, were you getting you know all kinds of meetings after Here's Filthy? The, well, the problem is after we sold Filthy, we were still in college for a couple months, and um, I. At, you know, I was at University of Chicago, and believe it or not, they they have a, a physical education requirement there, just for one quarter. I never took it seriously, <laughs> um, so I left it for my last quarter. And yet, um, they were really adamant that I couldn't graduate unless I took it. So I wasn't able to miss like these classes. So I couldn't oh, come God. out to L.A. after we sold our script when you had the most heat. Right. So we came out to L.A. And we we had our meetings. I mean, we did have a lot of meetings around town and that kind of thing. So we were getting meetings. And we had opportunities where we we could go and pitch, um, you know, like rewrite, you know, rewrites mm-hmm. and or pitch off of their ideas. The truth of the matter is, we enjoyed coming up with our own ideas, you know, and that that was the thing. So we were focused on that. Uh, so we didn't really go out for a lot of pitch meetings on that kind of thing. But uh, you know, we we also like right after Filthy, we sold a comedy game show, which was uh, which was like you know at the time there was like Win Ben Stein's money, but like. Even though we thought it was like kind of funny, it was on Comedy Central, and you know Jimmy Kimmel was the host, and Ben Stein's on it. It wasn't like we we were we did a game show that was like everything about it was funny, um, and so we sold that to a company, Telepictures, which ends up making which makes like The Bachelor now. Mm-hmm. But we sold it to them, and it was we learned a lot through that process where you went from uh, you know we sold it on the comedy to a junior executive, and then it went up the ranks and. The, the the higher level executives were like, okay, well, let's try to get this on, you know, the WB. Hmm. And so it was like, our comedy was edgy. So it was like, it was a perfect Comedy Central kind of show. So they had us like toning down the sensibility majorly. Making us ask, you know, the, the trivia questions were about your prom and stuff like that. And suddenly it became watered down. And at the time, and they were talking about having Rosie O'Donnell as a host at one point. And listen, you know, we, at the time, we were 22, 23. And we're just thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, this, uh, you're making it? Like, because we wanted something produced. Right. And by but in the process, you know, saying yes and being okay with with what they wanted watered everything down. And so after that experience, and after our our filthy experience, which was, you know, we we felt the script was getting worse in the development mm-hmm. process at at uh, at MGM. We were just like, you know what, we we came adamant about believing in our own ideas and and fighting for, you know, um, it, not not like being adversarial with mm-hmm. our studio. But if but just we, sticking if, sticking to our guns yeah. more and explain and and having the confidence to just explain, you know, here's why we're making a mistake here if we do this or that. Mm. And uh, so we were selling things. We sold this game show. We sold the horror movie pitch, um, and that was kind of paying the bills for us. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know we were kind of running running low on money, and we were we were uh, but we were getting um, you know in all these meetings people were trying to tell us to do like the high concept. What's the high concept thing? And we were always character guys. We always mm-hmm. connected with like movies where you. Fell in love with the well, well, the problem is like 
if you're going to sell a pitch, it needs to be high concept. Right. That's the thing, especially when you're a writer who's just written uh, a, you know, sometimes you write a screenplay, whether it sells or not, people like it and they mm-hmm. think it's a good writing sample. Mm-hmm. But that's just not enough to like, you know, sell a pitch about like, you know, uh, an ensemble and Absolutely. you know and all that. You you need to go in with like, okay, here's you know, it's 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 it's, it's liar liar. Yeah, it's yeah. you know that. Yeah, kind I was going to ask. I yeah. mean, what were the things that they were responding? This was what ten years ago now. Uh, it's twelve, I okay. think. Yeah. So you know, people responded to the voice of our characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, people responded to our set pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, all the things that you see in our movies today is what they were responded but, but, to. But it's not easy to pitch. Yeah, sure. it's, a lot of the stuff we do. It, yeah, it's not the easiest. You can't to pitch. pitch Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Right. You just well, the, can't the do thing it. is. And, and, and well, you can now. You can now, now exactly. <laughs> but then you know it would have been it would have been harder too. And and the thing was you know um, so people were trying to look for like well what's the big idea? And the thing is with pitches usually it's star driven stuff. Mm-hmm. And where we we will we are happy to work with stars, but we try to do things that are like okay well it's again it's character first, and that's what we're focused on. So there was all this pressure to come up with like the big you know con- you know concept movies. And we were just like, ugh, like we went the opposite route, and we did Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Um, so we ended up writing basically. Uh, we had like this. We had actually a high concept idea, and we had Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. We're running low on money. What, what was the high concept idea? We actually sold that later. It was called oh, the it was called the Wingman, mm-hmm. um, and we sold that as a pitch after Harold and Kumar. Uh, but it was uh, the, the Wingman was basically. Um, guy whose father and, and as, after we sold it and we wrote the script, we had we ended up having uh, uh, Christopher Walken and Paul Rudd attached. Paul Rudd pre all of his his big stuff, but it was um, it was basically that that script was it was about a, a, a guy who you you call up if you see a girl at a bar you you call this guy up he shows up and he'll be your wingman. It was sort of like it, it was sort of like an, it was sort of like an R rated hitch mm-hmm. in a sense, but it was pre hitch. Yeah, hitch um, came out and it was like oh you know it's too much like hitch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but uh, but we um so uh, we had that idea. And we figured that we could do that, but the mm-hmm. one, the movie that we were really more passionate about, that we thought our thing was like, okay, let's write something that no one else in Hollywood's writing, because The Wingman was the kind of idea where we were like, there are probably sure. five people in town also writing the script, The Wingman, and what we can't afford to have happen is, just as we're finishing the script, somebody else sells The Wingman. So our attitude was, okay, well, let's write. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. No one's writing this movie. We thought it was like the lowest concept. There's the lowest stakes of all time. It's it's if either they, if they don't get to White Castle, they don't end up getting to White Castle. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they, they don't get the burgers. They, they, have, the to, burgers. they have to eat other burgers. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pro- probably better burgers. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but our attitude about it was like our, the challenge of that movie was we wanted people to, th- and this is how we are. Like we're guys who like we crave a specific food and we want that food. And it becomes literally the biggest thing in the well, world. Well, you, you just get invested in something. It's anybody can relate to it. If if you're like, even if you're playing like a little game where you're like trying to, I don't know, flick like a paperclip through something, mm-hmm. and it's just like it suddenly becomes like you <laughs> you can't go on with your life unless this. You That's know, everything because, in your world. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Harold and Camargo to White Castle was really <laughs> based on like we're the kinds of guys. I need Krispy Kreme donuts. Like I I need one, mm-hmm. and like I'm gonna go out there and get it. So. Yeah, that we wrote that script because uh, we figured like no one else in town is writing a, a movie about an Asian guy and an Indian guy getting stoned and wanting to eat burgers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, I'm, am I misunderstanding, or did you actually 
pitch it first. No, no. we wrote we wrote Her- we wrote Harold okay. and Camargo to White Castle, and it went out on the market, and literally immediately it changed our careers. And wow. it was one of those things that that we found great producers Nathan Kahane and Greg Shapiro who sat sat down with us and they said listen like we love your love your script we want to make your movie and to be clear we want it to be Harold and Kumar go to White Castle we want it to be the vision that's on the page <laughs> we're going to find a director who makes this movie it wasn't trying to change what it was and we were on set every day for that shoot and we were involved in every stage of that process in a major way really saw what directing was you know that was our film school was sure. just being on that set and Gave us the confidence and, and the studio the confidence for us to direct the, but the sequel. But it also became the kind of thing where, like, when the script got around town, like, we would go in, like, that. that's when our reps were like, okay, you should start doing some rewrites now. And we would, like, take – the rewrite meetings became really easy. Like, we would go in there. We would throw out, throw out our ideas and, like, we got hired for everything that we that's went great. out for. So it was, it, it, was, it was really that one <laughs> writing sample, though, where people saw, okay, these guys can write a, a movie that works as a movie mm-hmm. in, on every, on, in every way. Um, and that, that allowed for us to start getting hired uh, as writers. And then when we would go out with a pitch – it was like there would be every studio in town was interested in the pitch because they liked uh, you know our work uh, on prior things mm-hmm. so it was uh it was uh that that changed it all for us is there a uh, a dream project for you or is it an investment in the thing you're working on now no i think there's multiple dream projects frankly mm-hmm. frankly we we've we have you know a couple really big ideas that that we'd like to get out there like you know a, there's this big action comedy idea that that we have that we feel is Different than the other action comedies mm-hmm. that are out here right now, which which we feel are all seem to be homages to eighties mm-hmm. movies or uh, or satires of them. We wanted to do something a little bit different, um, so that's a bigger movie. And, and but then we have like some really some really like, like a lot like, smaller, more something that feels more like you know you know we're huge Todd Solon's fans. Okay, I did not see that coming. No, <laughs> we're, exactly. we're like the biggest in the world. It, it, yeah, <laughs> like my my experience watching Life During Wartime mm-hmm. is what I hope people feel when they watch. American Reunion. <laughs> like seriously, like I, I, I was like, I was like, oh my god, Doctor Maplewood's doing this. Oh my, I was just like loving it every yeah. moment of it. But but like you know, like things on that level that are like okay, so disturbing. So so I mean, like I think what we like, we like movies that are crowd pleasing. But sometimes you know. The subject matter doesn't appear to be commercial mm-hmm. uh, on the surface, whether it's because it, it seems like it's, you know, um, that, for whatever reason, you know. And I think that those are the types of movies that, you know, we, we feel like we'd like to have a couple obvious commercial movies that we like, you know, out there and, and you know, a couple of those hit. And then, then you know, w- once we get that out of our system, I think we'd like to explore, you know, some other movies that we have in our heads that right now don't seem like the obvious thing to have after American Reunion. Mm-hmm. The, the truth That's is, I don't, I don't see us going quite as dark as Todd Solon's. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I think that there are things that... We believe, you know, you know, like a movie like Juno, for example, is something that like people couldn't have necessarily predicted would take in a hundred million dollars, but it was really just it was just a well done movie. Um, and uh, you know, we have things that are sort of a little bit more offbeat, a little bit, um, you know, that that aren't the obvious thing. Where when we go to Universal or Warner Brothers or Sony, one of the big studios, that they're not going to buy in a, in a clear way. But mm-hmm. you know, at a, at, a, at a later time in our career, we have a number of projects that we feel like are, are special in a unique way that could really catch on and really connect with a really broad audience but wouldn't necessarily be obvious to a studio and that people probably won't be writing you know yeah things that we that we like how the kumar go to white castle types of movies we have two or three of those that we're confident that no one else in town is going to beat us (laughs) to the punch on so right now we're trying to get get things out there that 
Um, but you know, in the, you know. In, in the meantime, you know, like obviously, you know, we're we're coming off two franchise sort of movies, and you know, we like the idea of of things that have big fan bases. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's you know, studios are now assuming that with with us, whenever we go into a pitch, so try to find things right now that that just seem like we would really like them that make sense for what people would expect from us right mm-hmm. you know right now and and you know when you know once i think we you know have you know whatever it is 17 million dollars you know 17 and a half million you know combined i think then, then we could start like actually <laughs> we have a long way to go dude yeah. <laughs> um no. and what is it to any of these projects that you guys think that you specifically bring you know, I, I think that uh, we put in the work, I think, is one thing. I think that there's... It goes a long way. Yeah. So I think that there's, um, you know, I think it, part of it's a work ethic and part of it is, um, you know, really, I, like, I, I can't stress enough, really caring about the characters, mm-hmm. really, like, focusing on making sure, you know, a screenplay is a giant puzzle and we try to, we put a lot of effort into um, making sure that all the pieces are fitting together in a way that we think a, a broad audience is going to enjoy and so it's a combination of being able to push the envelope and do kind of, you know, crazy kind of outrageous things that are sometimes shocking, but putting it in a context where a large audience could really enjoy mm-hmm. it. I think that that's something that, that we bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, and just, just th- you know, I mean, from the from our roots of the Zucker brothers and, and Farley brothers as influences, I think we just try to have movies that are, are getting big laughs and you know, every you know we've made uh, we've had four movies produced now, and every time we've had a test screening, and we're sitting in the audience, you know, we're not we're not upset with the process, you know, and it's because we were adamant about throughout the writing process of of you know making sure that there's big jokes in these movies, mm-hmm. you know, and you know for us comedy is it's really important, but that's the second nature thing to us that we don't stress stress about because we know that if John and I are invested and we're writing it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, there's no way we're not going to, you know, at least hit some jokes along the way. And, and we, you know, you hire talented actors and, and the, the editing process and you could actually hire other writers, you know, and, and, and they can contribute. But, you know, when when you're not so worried about the comedy like like we are, sure. you, you could, it gives you an opportunity to focus on story and character. And that's when you have a movie that's memorable. I think the one other thing that I would say is that we're also guys who don't want to make something bad. <laughs> like really like we're really trying hard to not make something that's going to be like just horrible for an audience um <laughs> and i think that like you know a good example of that is like there was an opportunity to make a harold and kumar christmas a year before we actually ended up shooting it where the studio was like ready to go like they like we didn't even our script was like still in development and we were working on it and we said to the studio like they were like okay like let's start pre-production in like two three weeks and we said to them listen, like the script's not there yet. Like we need to make sure, like if we're going to make this movie, we're not going to be like going into this, like half flying blind Mm -hmm. in terms of, in terms of a script, because the script is the most important part of the process in terms of like making the rest of everyone's life easier. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're, we, uh, you know, we're, we're not just sort of jumping in and, and, and making movies because we have the opportunity to make yeah, movies. Yeah. Half we, the reason why bad movies get made is because uh, the script isn't ready yet, but, but we got to get this thing going. And, you know, John and I are old-fashioned. We write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. We like the screenplay. Now we make the movie. <laughs> and do you guys feel, looking at the four films that you've had produced now, that you 
have gotten on screen what you intended to get on screen? For the most part, you know, I, I think like a movie like, you know, Harold and Kumar's skip from Guantanamo Bay, which was the first film we directed. Mm -hmm. We wrote a script that was far more ambitious than what our budget was. Mm -hmm. So we did the best that we could getting on the screen, like the, 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 uh, the, like, the like, scope of it, yeah, yeah. Like our our goal wasn't to make jokes about how bad our production value was. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes like you think, oh, we'll make a joke out of how like it's a green screen, and we we didn't like that. Well, our whole thing with Harold the Commerce Escape from Guantanamo Bay is suddenly they're in the fugitive type of movie, and when you watch the fugitive, half the the shots are like helicopter shots, mm -hmm. and when you have a like close to $10 million budget, you just can't do that. We not so. only couldn't do helicopter shots, but we couldn't even have a helicopter sitting there in the background, <laughs> uh, you know, in, yeah. in, in, a, in, in a scene. And and that's the thing. So, like, when I look at Harold and Kumar's from Guantanamo Bay, like, we love that movie. We think that, uh, you know, it's a, it's so unusual for a studio comedy to, like, cover what sure. we were covering in that film. And, we and you know, we, we did some pretty out there things in that film. But, like, you know, our intention, you know, when directing that movie was to, for it to look like The Fugitive, for the scope to be so much bigger, um, for, which which would allow for you to play it a little a little bit realer than what it was. You know, it was a satire. So, you know, it, it, it kind of all works mm -hmm. uh, in how it is. But, you know, we wanted the big budget satire. Yeah, the with, the, the, the Tropic that. Thunder kind of right. uh, scope. But, you know, you know, everything everything has a purpose. And, you know, we're, I, you know. When we were sitting in the audience at the test screening for Harold and Kumar's Escape from Guantanamo Bay, we felt great. You know, we, we sure. felt that it was, uh, you know, it was, everybody was laughing. Well, it, was, and... it was nonstop laughs. It, it tested higher than Harold and Kumar go to White Castle when people – it was funny. It was, uh, it was a crazy uh, uh, thing because, you know, we love Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and just we'd be in the test audience and you'd see people would fill out the cards afterwards and people were just going crazy <laughs> for the movie. Um, you know, we we had this test screening uh, in Austin, or not a test screening. We we debuted at South by Southwest, and it was just mayhem in that theater. So it was all this stuff where like we love we always we love the movie, uh, but it was like you know it was definitely a compromise from like what our, mm -hmm. our clear vision was in terms sure. of the aesthetic of it. Which yeah. I mean, any movie is going to have some degree of compromise. It's a collaborative media. Exactly. It seems you know it just when when you watch a movie, you just don't assume what the compromises are. Right. I when when we watch you know Judd Apatow's movies or Todd Phillips's movies, you know and those are like you know two writer director mm -hmm. comedy guys that we really respect and we love their movies you know it just feels like oh i'd love to have that budget or those opportunities <laughs> but the truth is like they i know probably feel the same way about other movies sure. so yeah. yeah you know it's you try to get what you you get what you can on the big screen and uh and uh it's uh what what i would say is that in all all four of the movies that we've made what we were going for was achieved mm -hmm. let's be, let's be clear That's about that That's yeah great. Uh, and very briefly, we touched on this um, in talking about outlining, but I work with a partner. I'm always curious to hear about how other partnerships work. What's your process? What do each of you bring to the table, if you can even define that? Well, you know, it's it's tricky. Um, that's actually not tricky. It's very easy. John and I, uh, John and I are, you know, being friends from high school, we have a very similar sensibility. We, we've now hung out and you know, for years. and Over you know, half we, our lives. Over half our lives. Out. So, you know, it, it's... It, it's like we're bro the Zucker brothers, are you know, Farley brothers. We we have like that kind of kinship, and you end up, um, you know, having a similar voice. And so, you know, the actual specific process is we outline together. We're in a room. Mm -hmm. We're not separated. You know, we come up with this outline together. Once the outline's done, and we're like, okay, it's final draft time. We're, we're typing a screenplay. Mm -hmm. Then we'll we'll separate because you know it just it's faster that way. Absolutely. It's easier. You, you know. And, you know, so one of us will start from page one to 
to you know this scene and then I'll take it from this scene to that scene and then we, we finish it up in terms of like what we each bring to the table I think you know as we've gotten older our lives are a little bit different John is like is is a married guy with a two year uh, almost two year old daughter and you know I'm I'm a single guy with you know <laughs> you know who's you know waiting to get married and all that stuff so we we have like you know our our, our different a little bit of a different lifestyle and different opinions on certain things um, that that can shade in in terms of what we contribute. Um, but but, but also yeah. we have this you know huge similarity, which which makes a movie like American Reunion great for us mm-hmm. to write because it's a movie about friendship and it's a movie about you know people who went to high school together. It's just perfect for us. Uh, yeah, I mean clearly you look at the stuff you guys have done already. There is a common theme in there, uh, and it is about these. Friendship relationships, these strong friendships. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think that's what sells Harold and Kumar. Well, I, I, we we totally agree. I mean, without John and Cal, and you know the, mm-hmm. their portrayal of Harold and Kumar, then you know it wouldn't work. I mean, the, you buy them as friends. I yeah. mean, we did. There was a real legitimate search for who was going to be Harold and who was going to be Kumar. Mm-hmm. We wrote uh, Harold and Kumar for John Cho. We mm-hmm. didn't know John Cho, but we were fans of his from, from American Pie, yeah. and then we had seen him on the show. White's Brothers had a show called uh, Off Center yeah. that John. Was great on, so you know we wrote it intending for John Cho, but they literally auditioned people, you know, people all across the world for that role, and John was still the best. <laughs> and uh, Cal, we had met like actually before the casting process happened, and we loved him. And but there were chemistry tests and everything, and it was just it was really important to get a real believable friendship there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you guys pulled it off. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. No, Good luck with American Reunion. I think people are going to go crazy for it. Nice. Well, we hope so. We, <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've we've seen some audiences, and they seem to really enjoy Good. it. Uh, just to, you know, hope everyone checks it out. Glad yeah. to hear it. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Very cool. Thank you. Now leaving nerdist.com. dot <laughs> com.